If you would, please take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of James, James chapter 3. Our text this morning will be the first 12 verses of James chapter 3. And I would ask you, if you're able, please rise together with me as we read from God's holy and inspired word. James chapter 3, beginning in the very first verse. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is set on, on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth uh, come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water fresh water. Thus far, the reading of God's word, you may be seated. <clears throat> I was born in uh, Texas, just, just down the road in Waxahachie. I uh, grew up in South Arkansas. And uh, when it came time to move from there, I went to college in South Carolina. Uh, after college in South Carolina, I went to seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. I've been uh, worked in churches in South Carolina and Florida, and I've been back here in Texas for over 20 years now. Now, if you didn't know me and you were uh, in the... Uh, uh, meeting me for the first time, I don't think you would ever be, uh, ever, ever think that, or mistake that I, I grew up in Boston, right? Wouldn't take long, you would know the difference. You would hear my speech and you go, that's not Bostonian. I could even say something like, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. You still wouldn't think I was from there, would you? I said the same words, but they don't sound the same. 
Bostonians don't sound like Texans. Texans don't sound like Bostonians, right? James is telling us in this passage before us this morning that a Christian speech is different as well. And that the way a Christian speaks and the way he uses his tongue and his, and his mouth is far different from the way a non-Christian does. And so he's instructing us as Christians to be careful about how we use the tongue. And so this morning as we look at this passage, we're going to see what he says about the tongue and about how it is as Christians we shouldn't be using it, but I think also how it is as Christians we should use our tongue. And so the first thing I want us to see uh, in this passage this morning, you, you see there in your outline in the bulletins, is that the tongue brings strict judgment. We find it right here in the very first verse. He says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that those who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, I don't think James at this point is saying, don't be a teacher. I don't think he's trying to say that at all. He's, he's, not, he's not suggesting that we don't need teachers in the church because we absolutely do. And in fact, we look back at uh, passages like Ephesians chapter 4 where we, where we read about God gifting different individuals within the church. Every Christian has a gift or gifts. And God has gifted some to be teachers. And if he's gifted you to be a teacher, then you need to use that gift um, for the building up of the body of Christ, for the maturing of the body of Christ. James is not trying to discourage anyone who's been gifted by God to, to teach in the church from teaching. If you have the gift of teaching, please understand that God wants you to use it in the church. But James is warning about an awesome responsibility, and what an awesome responsibility it is to teach God's people. He's, he's reminding us of how easy it is to misspeak with our tongues. Um, some of you were here several months ago when we were um, going through the book of Hebrews, and, and it came time to read the, the text for the morning, and I announced it, and I think we were in chapter 11, and I said chapter 7. Not only once, but three or four times. And everybody's looking at me, wait, it says here, and I start reading, and there, there we are in 11. There are other times that you can misspeak and not mean to, but yet you, you misspeak, right? Um, uh, there are times when sometimes I'm, I'm teaching, and, and you may have experienced this sort of thing as well, and you're mentioning somebody in the Bible, and you get their name wrong. You know better, and, and maybe when, you, when it comes off your lips, it doesn't sound right, but you misspoke. Those are kind of, you know, benign sort of mistakes to make, but you make mistakes, and sometimes mistakes are worse than that. Sometimes maybe you speak something that you think to be truth, and you find out later on it is not. How many people do you know who as they, uh, you know, at one point in their teaching would, would talk about uh, salvation being a, a cooperative work between you and God. And that they might use an illustration like, well, God has a vote and Satan has a vote and yours is the deciding vote. And you hear people teach along these lines. Maybe some of you have been there in the past as well. 
And then you begin to read God's word and you say, wait a minute, that just wasn't right. I used to teach uh, something that I thought was truth at the time, but it is not. We've got to be very careful about those sorts of things. To teach something that is not right, we need to be careful about our study of God's word and always ready to let it change us and change our minds and to, and to change our teaching. But we need to try to make, always make sure that in our teaching it is consistent with God's word. James reminds us of how easy it is to, to teach improperly. We must be very careful lest our teaching and our words don't present an accurate picture. James says here that those who uh, are teaching have a stricter judgment. Jesus talks about if we should in our teaching in any way mislead a little one. And what is the strict judgment that is on anyone who would mislead someone? May there be a millstone tied around their neck and them thrown into the heart of the sea, right? It's a pretty strict judgment. James here is reminding us that with our tongue in teaching, we've got to be careful not to ever mislead or misteach. And I think that he is, in speaking this to us, Reminding us that as a teacher, and we all at times are going to teach someone, whether it's a, a neighbor or someone in our family or someone else's children, we're always having opportunities to teach. We've got to always be prepared. We should never go into any sort of teaching without having first uh, you know, looked at it through the, the lens of the Word of God. And I think also... We err in teaching if we don't go into it loaded with prayer. And so as teachers, we must always be prepared to teach so that we do not misspeak and that we do not speak in error. We will be judged with a, with a stricter judgment. And so the first thing here that James is reminding us about is the strict judgment that uh, comes on the tongue if we're teaching in a way that shouldn't be and that uh, uh, we, we would misspeak. The second thing I want you to notice that he talks about the tongue, we find in verses 3 through 6 where he talks about the, the great power that is within the tongue. Look with me in verse 3. We put bits into the mouths of the horses to make him obey us and uh, we, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example, although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a, word, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. <laughs> he compares the tongue with uh, the little part that goes, the, the bit that goes in the horse's mouth and you can, you can steer the, the whole horse with that little bit in his mouth or the rudder on the ship. 
such a small part of the big ship, but yet it steers the whole thing. It seems that uh, it seems fitting that he would use um, illustration of a horse and a bit in his mouth and a ship in the rudder because it directs this whole body, such a little piece. And James is saying our tongue, such a little small part, and weighs uh, you know, just a few ounces and compared to the rest of the parts of the body is really very small and yet it seems to direct the entire being. And he goes on to speak of it like a, uh, as a fire and how it's set on, how the huge blazes are set on fire by such a, a small spark. Um, you think of the fires that have been here in Texas over the last several years, or especially the, the fires out in California now, and you, you see all of the land that they're burning up and think, well, how did they start? It starts with just a very small spark and destroys so much stuff. We can see this with the tongue, can't we? How the tongue can be have a, such a great power in awful ways. Seems that he is certainly considering gossip here, I think, as part of the, the, the destructive power of the tongue. You remember the game we used to play? We called it gossip. I, we did. I, I think it's been called different names. We have a long line of people there, and you whisper something in the first person's ear, and they have to turn and whisper it to the next person. You can only whisper it once. And then uh, when it gets to the end, you ask the person on the end, well, what was said, and something comes out, and it's nothing close to what it started, right? And we've seen how, and I think in each of our lives, we can see how gossip can get so far out of, out of hand and out of control, and it can be a deadly, corrupting power. It's not just gossip that causes uh, the destructive fire with the tongue, though. I think the tongue can be used in ways even to lash out at people. Um, some One pastor has said, you've heard someone say, I don't hold my feelings in, I just explode, and then it's over with. He said the same can be said of a nuclear bomb, and the result is about as devastating. It's like the rhyme that says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will flat destroy me. That's the way we feel, isn't it? We're lashed out at it. And we have to be very careful about the tongue and how we use it. Proverbs 26. Let me read these words. Like a madman shooting firebrands or deadly arrows is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. Without wood, the fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. Oh, the tongue has a power to do all kinds of uh, destructive things. And it's so appropriate that James here would liken it to the bit in the horse's mouth which moves the entire body or the rudder on the, on the huge ship that is moved here and there or even like the spark which sets off an, a destructive blazing fire. So we see 
Here that the tongue uh, brings strict judgment. We also see that the tongue has great power. And uh, thirdly, I want you to notice that the tongue brings corrupting danger. Uh, verses 6 through 8. I believe it's 7 through 8. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea have been tamed uh, and have been, are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. A restless evil full of deadly poison. He said in verse 6, it corrupts the whole person, right? <laughs> Listen to the words of John MacArthur. Since the Bible refers directly or indirectly to a wicked tongue, a deceitful tongue, a lying tongue, a perverse tongue, a filthy tongue, a corrupt tongue, a bitter tongue, an angry tongue, a crafty tongue, a flattering tongue, a slanderous tongue, a gossiping tongue, a backbiting tongue, a blaspheming tongue, a foolish tongue, a boasting tongue, a murmuring tongue, a complaining tongue, a cursing tongue, a contentious tongue, a sensual tongue, a vile tongue, a tail-bearing tongue, a whispering tongue, an exaggerating tongue, etc. Do you see yourself anywhere in there? He says, no wonder God put your tongue in a cage behind your teeth, walled in by your mouth. May I be bold to say, most of the problems relate to the tongue, most of them. Somebody said, remember your tongue is in a wet place and it can easily slip. The easiest way to sin is to sin with your tongue. Nothing is more representative of man's sinfulness than his mouth. And there is no easier way to sin than with your mouth. Because you can say anything you want to say. There are no restraints. You can't do any evil deeds you might want to do because maybe the circumstances aren't there for you to do it. But you can say absolutely anything. Your tongue has tremendous potential to judge you. That's what Jesus tells us, right? In uh, Matthew chapter 12, he says, I tell you then, men, uh, that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. Is that, is that scary to you? <laughs> he says, for by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. The, the tongue has, can bring a corrupting danger. We will be judged by our words. Finally, number four, not only does the tongue bring strict judgment and the tongue have great power and the tongue bringing corrupting danger, we see fourthly the tongue is to be used consistently, verses 9 through 11. With the tongue, we praise the Lord, our, and our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praising and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can uh, fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? 
My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James reminding us of something here of, of how wrong it is to say that we love the Lord and bless the Lord and then with that same tongue begin to curse and throw hate on our brothers. John tells us that it is not possible to say that we love God and hate our neighbor. So that's just impossible. James gives us the corollary here. It's, it's not possible to truly praise God and curse our brothers. Why is that so? James tells us you're praising the Lord and then you're looking at his image. Each of us have been created in his image, right? We're image bearers of God. And if we use that tongue to besmirch them, we're, we're not loving God's image, right? You say, my wife is the love of my life. I love her so much. Can you imagine I'm loving her like that and, and then taking a picture of her, drawing horns on her and blacking out a tooth and maybe knocking out an eye, and then take that image around the people and say, this is my wife. <laughs> you can't do that. If you love your wife, you love her image too, right? If you say you love God, then you're going to love his image too. And that same tongue can't express love and praise and honor and glory to God and despise his image. John, James says it's just not possible. Out of, he talks about the same spring can't produce salt water and fresh water. He said uh, uh, a fig tree um, can't, <clears throat> was it, a fig tree can't produce olives, doesn't happen, or a, or a grapevine figs. It can't happen. And he says neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. He's saying the same tongue, the same tongue can't legitimately do these things. If you love God, and you speak praise and honor and glory to him, that same tongue should be doing the same for those who are created in his image as well. As you listened to this, and maybe you're thinking back of how your tongue has been used um, over this past week, and you're thinking, I could be in trouble here. God says, I will be judged. And there's a strict judgment, not just for those who are, have the title of teacher, but for all of us. What hope is there for me? Because I haven't, I haven't used my tongue as I should. I'll turn over a new leaf, and then God will be happy with me, right? If you're thinking that that's what I'm trying to say here this morning. You, you, missed, you, you missed it completely. We haven't yet got control of our tongue. We're not the perfect person that James talks about here. He says, if you got control of your tongue, you're perfect and all things. We're not there yet, are we? And yet, 
we read a passage like this and it brings great conviction and we're maybe concerned about the judgment that we will face because of our time. James is not here saying, do this to be perfect. You've got to change yourself to do this. He's saying, this is, this is the way your speech should be as a Christian. You've already seen someone whose speech was perfect. Someone whose speech never crossed the line. Someone whose speech never added to gossip. Never slandered. Never lied. Never cursed. Never profaned the name of God. James is reminding us that we are found in his righteousness and that he took our sins on the cross. When we see that kind of love, what does it do to us? Well, it changes that tongue, doesn't it? It should change the tongue. And while it's for most of us, we sound like Texans because that's who we are, right? So for most of us, our tongue should be sounding like a Christian because that's who we are as well. And so this morning, as we come to the Lord's table, we, we come reminded that we, we haven't perfected this yet. We're still falling. But we're also reminded of such love that should motivate us to, to desire that our, our speech would, would so much more on a daily basis be conformed to that of our Savior's speech. Let's pray. Father, again we come this morning broken sinners, recognizing that even as Christians, even as those who have known your tremendous love for us, we have not yet conquered the tongue. And we realize that it is um, and even as, as James would say here, that it is uh, like a deadly poison. Help us, Lord. Help us as your children to sound more and more like Christians on a daily basis. That our speech would be gracious. That our speech would be loving. That our speech would be constantly revealing that we are children of yours. And we pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen.